You're listening to another episode of the Dunstan Group's award-winning Brand Builders Podcast, Quarantine Edition. Same great hosts, but with that Zoom meeting sound quality we've all grown to love. Now, here are your hosts, Scott Dunstan and Brian Young. Welcome to another episode of the award-winning Brand Builders Podcast, powered by the Dunstan Group. My name is Brian Young, and we are here with Scott Dunstan, who's the president of the Dunstan Group. And we are here with Jeff Brokaw, who is... A, an amazing business owner here, has multiple different startups, including Tabris, CLT Esports, and Fast Track. And let's talk a little bit about, like, what does it take to start a company? Well, it takes money, and it takes money to make money. And every venture capitalist like Jeff, uh, who is a serial entrepreneur, is always starting to, to, to or always trying to start something. Uh, when he's not starting his own company, he's giving advice, he's mentoring others. He's really an asset to our organization, uh, or excuse me, our city, as we continue to grow. Now, Jeff is a regular on the Charlotte uh, entrepreneur scene. Um, his current ventures include a fintech firm, a co-working hub, uh, and an esports team. Now, that's a lot, and that's quite the mix, and we're really excited to learn a little bit more about that. So I'd love to welcome uh, Jeff here to the Brand Builders Podcast, excuse me, to show us a little bit more insight into his life and really all of these different ventures that he's jumped into. So Jeff, that's awesome. Welcome to the podcast. You know, did we miss anything? Are there any other companies that you've started or any other ventures that are in the works? Yeah, I'm always trying to, to, to work on a few things. So I think, uh, yeah, you, you, you get the vast majority of what my focus is on right now. So uh, yeah, once again, thanks for having me. So tell us a little bit about, uh, and I'm not exactly sure which one was the, the first, you know, uh, venture that you, that you went on, but would love to learn a little bit more about, you know, your co-working space, uh, how that's a little bit different. I know that you've kind of tailored this for a co-working hub for disruptive uh, new companies. So tell us a little bit about that idea and really the background around that organization. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, my partner, John Brock, and I, um, we, we actually met the venture capital firm that we were both working at. And uh, through our travels and looking at companies, um, we, we, we noticed one big void in Charlotte and co-working spaces. Um, and we saw many other of the major cities have more of an incubator model. So um, we, uh, we, we wanted to do something similar. So we started toying around looking for spaces in 2016, um, found a really great space um, at, near Uptown Charlotte, right on the light rail in 2018, and uh, started moving forward with Tabris. And, and the whole vision behind it is we want to be more than just co-working. Um, and, and our model is a little reversed. We don't want companies in there for more than two or three years. And the reason is we want to provide the resources to them um, whether that's mentorship, um, connections to, to, um, to, to advisors, to advisory members, um, access to capital through our connections, um, or really any other area that they would need some help with. Um, so we opened the doors that October of last year, um, and, and we've had a lot of success with it so far. Um, a lot of interest, but we're turning down about 95% of the people who want space inside of Tabris. Um, and again, the reason is, like you mentioned, we're looking for um, innovative early stage companies. Um, if there's, you know, an accountant, an attorney, a real estate agent that wants to work in co-working spaces, um, then they have tons to choose from in Charlotte, and we're probably not the best fit for them. But if it's somebody who, who just came up with a new idea, or maybe they have a year, two-year-old company um, that's looking to scale, 
Um, we, we definitely want to have those uh, types of members in our space. Do you currently just have one location? And if so, um, how many of these startup businesses can you sort of house at one time, so to speak? Yeah, so we're at one location right now. We're um, just a little shy of 25,000 square feet. We have the capacity for about 400 members. Um, our company sizes range from individual solopreneurs um, that are trying to get you know their ideas off the ground. A lot of them still do have nine to five. They'll so come and work at nights, weekends, days off. Um, and then our largest company um, it's one that you mentioned, Fast Track, that has uh, 12 employees working out of there, and that's kind of our max capacity. Um, so, so Fast Track, hopefully, uh, when the coronavirus mess ends and, and business gets back to normal, whatever that looks like, that we'll be uh, kind of graduating our space. Um, and, and we really want to recognize that success with companies um, and watching them grow and kind of scale out and and really not need our resources, our space anymore, and uh, go out on their own. So um, we, we can hold now probably about 75 to 80 companies in our space. I love that. And, um, go ahead, Scott. Well, I, I find it very interesting. Um, and, and I'm really curious, like right now you mentioned, like when things get back to normal or whatever the new normal is, uh, what is the – morale what are the conversation i mean there's obviously a room full of very innovative and creative and go-getter kind of people in your facility right now what's the conversation like and and does anyone have any certainty at this time or are they just playing defense trying to all kind of figure out what their next moves are yeah they're they're all really trying to play defense and um pretty much all of our members are in the same boat again just being such early stage companies where where every penny of revenue really can make or break the company um so so we tried tried supporting the companies as much as we can with you know going down to the ppp sba loans helping them get those filled out um we've waived membership fees um and and we will probably continue to um once things do get back to normal we we plan on off also offering um discounted or free memberships for some of our members the last thing we would want to do um is tell somebody no you don't have a space to work at so if uh, when things do get back to normal, if companies can't pay that are in our space, um, we're not going to kick them out onto the street. So we're just trying to be as supportive as possible. That was the whole vision behind Fabris. We can see the uh, startup community flourish even more, get great new innovative companies out of the city. And if that happens, um, whether we make money or lose money, we can figure out a win if we can just see some more successful companies um, that are homegrown. Love that mindset. Thank you. Do you yeah. think you know, we're all talking about what the new norm's going to be? And I think, you know, a lot of, um, you know, organizations, we don't really know, you know, like our business is built on personal relationships. We have a showroom. We typically would be recording this in our own studio. All of that has changed. Uh, what do you think people's mindset is in the future? Do you think that people are going to want to, you know, jump right back into it and be around others? Or do you think it's going to be something that we have to kind of take some time and how are companies adapting to that specifically if they focus on meeting or focus on personal relationships? 
Yeah, so uh, uh, my opinion is a lot of people are going to kind of tiptoe back into uh, the new the new normal, whatever that looks like. Um, but, but I think the, 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 the silver lining in all this is companies really are learning how to pivot. It's like your company when you're used to doing face-to-face. I mean, we're, we're learning new ways. Um, I've had more Zoom calls than probably everybody um, listening has two in the last month than they have in their entire life. So um, in a lot of ways, I'm trying to look at it as, as a positive. I think there's um, a lot more time for productivity to focus on your product, which, again, the companies that we deal with out of our space being so early stage, um, it, they do require a lot of attention. Um, and, and to be honest, not just in our space, but in all co-working spaces, they are a great asset, but at times, too, they can be distracting. Um, so, so again, I'm trying to, to, to look at the silver lining and, and just uh, tell everybody, all of our members, and even people who aren't members, just really take this time to focus, um, figure out what's best for your business, and if something like this were to happen again, how are you going to address that? Um, so we, we also did last week um, in conjunction with Pitch Breakfast, for those who don't know, it's a seven-year-old organization that does a monthly pitch contest at Packard Place. Um, there's no monetary prize, but um, we decided to, to sponsor $5,000 towards that. Um, where the first place company got 3500 second place got 1000 third got $500. And again, for a lot of companies, that might not sound like a lot of money, but for the early stage entrepreneurs, you know, that's make or break for keeping your lights on, keeping the roof over your head. So we want to continue to uh, support that and do creative things. Um, again, build a, build more of a digital community um, as this coronavirus uh, goes on. I love that. Yeah. Go ahead, Scott. Go ahead, Brian. So I, I, I've had the opportunity to go to a couple of the pitch breakfasts. Uh, actually, I haven't been to one in a little while, but an amazing setup. It's amazing to see how many people are passionate around that. So thank you for, for not only donating money to that, but supporting it. You mentioned a lot of, of, of who you are is, is obviously in building businesses, but really it's about mentoring others and, and helping them out. Now you started uh, QC marketing back in 1998. So You've been in the marketing space. You've been in, you know, building a business space for a really long time. Tell us a little bit about, you know, what it means to you to not only mentor people, and it's great to start all these companies, but it seems like you're really passionate about helping others get to that next step. How can they be successful? And I'd love to kind of learn more about your journey and and how you mentor others specifically in our city. Yeah, so, I mean, it, it, mentoring others helps me just as much to help them. Um, it doesn't matter if it's somebody who's never run a business, um, has had a nine-to-five job their whole lives. Um, you can always learn something from somebody, um, and, and I typically do. But, um, I, I, again, kind of so what I said before, my passion and um, is really just seeing the startup community flourish in here. Um, I see that we're getting our ass kicked by Atlanta, um, Greenville, South Carolina, I would argue has just as good of a startup team, if not better than Charlotte's. And to, to me, that's unacceptable for the size of the city that we are, um, that there's just not enough cool companies coming out of here. Um, not, a, not enough visionaries really, um, 
you know, being able to take that leap of faith and and start their own business. So um, I'm very open with everybody that I mentor um, and everybody in general about, um, you know, the failures I've had. I've had a lot more failures and successes. Um, I, I've been dirt poor a, a lot more than than anything else. So um, it does take a good leap of faith, but I think it's just all about perseverance and uh, trying to fight through it. So, um, yeah, if, if I can help anybody out in the city, um, any startup, any company, whatever capacity that's in, um, I'd love to do so. And, again, it just doesn't have to be uh, uh, somebody who works out of Tavares. I probably have more people working out of, uh, computing co-working spaces that I talk to on a daily basis and one figure out the path there. So um, try not to be biased to all about that. Love it. So you're involved in the Fast Track company as well. Uh, that's another business you you have ownership in. Is that correct? That's correct. And that's a, that's a FinTech business. Could you elaborate a little bit about what FinTech is and, and kind of what you all have going on there as well? Yeah, so fintechs, uh, financial technology, so your your credit cards of the world, your Lundios, your NAVs, your lending trees, um, credit karma, so on and so forth. Um, we call all kind of fall under that category. Um, and uh, the way Fast Track came about, uh, I was running an organization um, in Charlotte called Startup Grind and uh, ran that for four to five years. Um, started with zero members, grew that to a little over 3,000 um, during the time that I had that. And it's a, a Google organization that's um, kind of like what we were just talking about with the mentorship where I would bring in a, a different successful entrepreneur um, every month. But I really like to focus on their failures as opposed to their wins because anybody can go and read an article and say this person sold their company for $100 million, but it's more so the story of how you got through the adversity, through the tough times, um, and, and, and how people can power through those times. Um, and during that, I, I, I remember seeing uh, for the ticket sales, we would have tickets uh, for each month every event. I saw somebody by the name of Ken Brokaw. Um, sign up and the first thing that stuck out to me was obviously the last name and who's this long lost brother that I don't know about. I've never met another Brokaw um, in person that um, I'm not related to so that kind of stuck out so I immediately looked out for this uh, for this Brokaw fellow who, who was coming to Charlotte but I didn't know and uh Met him after the event, sat down, talked with him, and, and realized that he was a, a very smart guy, much smarter than I'll ever be. Um, and he had just left being the CEO, COO for one of the largest equipment leasing firms in the country. Um, and his not compete clause was about to run up. So he, he had an idea for this, plat this platform called Fast Track, which is just a spin on the word SAS. Um, it's finance as a service. Um, and he started explaining to me how the equipment leasing industry works. And, and traditionally, it's always worked if you own a restaurant and you need to buy a new range hood, you need to buy a stove, you need to buy a fridge, kind of all your restaurant equipment. Um, you would have to call a broker. The broker um, would, would still do everything kind of in an old school way where they're going to fax 
stuff back and forth. Um, that's still kind of how it is today. They're going to spend six, seven, eight hours on the phone gathering information to, to fulfill your lease. And with that, there are no regulations as, as what you can um, cap or not cap um, the, the amount of interest that you want to charge on a lease deal. So industry standard um, micro-ticket deals, which is $100,000 and under, is about 20 points that are added on to each deal to make the broker their money. Um, Ken figured out a way that we can build an algorithm do that and charge two to three points and take out 99% of the human element. Um, so in turn, Fast Track makes money two to three points on every deal. Um, the people leasing the equipment save 18, 17% on every deal. So it's kind of a win-win. Um, and that was launched, the beta version of that, April of 2018. Um, and now today, I think uh, last week, we just passed the $14 million mark of um, leases done through our platform. So um, that's been a lot of fun. It's been a lot of learning for me. Um, I had no financial background when it comes to uh, equipment leasing. So that's what also interested me. I love getting involved with companies that I know nothing about. So I can kind of learn that trade and learn that industry. So... Uh, yeah, that's done really well, and I hope that's going to be a, uh, another shot of success story sometime in the near future. Love it. Love I, it. So I want to jump into um, something that I think is really fascinating as someone that has grown up in the video game world. I remember when I got my first Nintendo, and then my Super Nintendo, and then N64, and then PlayStation, and PS, you know, PS3, PS4, it seems like it just continues. But the level of video games and really what I would consider now esports has taken off. And one of the coolest things, and, one, and at least my opinion, is an organization that you started uh, where you're a professional sports team owner of the Charlotte Phoenix, which is the first Charlotte professional esports team. I know right now you guys have a team for League of Legends. Uh, but one thing that I'm super excited about is if you go on your website, it says, our players, Call of Duty, coming soon. Now, I'm not good enough to be on your team, but I'm sure the people that are are pretty amazing. I would love to learn a little bit more about this eSports team. Uh, we briefly talked before the podcast in this, in this COVID-19 era, how just the platform that eSports has got. You have NASCAR. You have now NFL players playing Madden against each other, and they're televising it on national TV. Uh, so tell us a little bit about how you got into eSports. What are the Charlotte Phoenix about? And what can we see from this organization in the future? Yeah, so eSports, I also got involved with when I was at the uh, at my uh, venture capital firm that I was with about five, six years ago. And uh, one of my jobs there, or my main focus, was trying to find emerging technologies, emerging trends, um, and just up-and-coming industries. And eSports came across my desk. Um, and I... And let me back up a little. About a month before this happened, I just bought my son a, a video game. He was 10 or 11 at the time. And I remember going into his room and specifically asking him. I saw him watching other people play video games. And I said, well, I just bought you this game. Why did I waste this 60 or $70 buying you a video game when you're just going to watch other people, you know, play it? That's the dumbest thing I've ever seen. And he was like, well why do you watch people play football every Sunday? Why aren't you in the backyard throwing it? So, um, so 
so, so, so he had a good point with that. And then uh, about a month later, when I started looking into it more, when it came across my desk, obviously I went to him and talked to him and um, I saw about it and he started educating me a little more. And then I just got into the raw numbers. And um, an event just happened at Madison Square Garden about six months earlier. And it sold out in 42 seconds. Um, these weren't cheap tickets. General admission for the weekend, two to three hundred bucks. VIP tickets are about three thousand dollars. So they're not just begging people, giving these tickets away to try and fill up stadiums. Um, it's really happening. Um, two years ago, the uh, esports, the, the the ratings for kind of their Super Bowl. The only thing in the United States that beat it ratings-wise um, was the Super Bowl. It beat NBA Finals Game 7, the Masters, Major League Baseball, the uh, World Series. Um, so the numbers were there. Um, I was pretty floored, um, but I started looking into the industry more. And uh, a, a friend of mine, he invested during that time, pretty early stage. It was a team that was based in Charlotte who ended up moving but uh, he, he invested a pretty good amount into a team to become a co-owner. He brought me on as a consultant, and I watched that brand grow when I was with them um, from about a $10 million organization, and they just raised their last round in February at $215 million. Um, wow. They have, they have investors down to NBA, NFL, MLB, um, people, their competitors, one of their uh, biggest rivals, that team's owned by Jerry Jones. Um, another team's owned by Robert Kraft of the Patriots. So a lot of professional sports team owners are getting involved. Um, they're seeing the growth, and they are seeing that we as humans, we crave competition. I don't care if it's called a sport or a competition. I'm really not a gamer. Um, I like the business side of it a lot more. Um, but, but again, the numbers are there. Um, like you mentioned, stuff being on national TV, our Rocket League team, we're in the series that starts airing on ESPN2 on Sunday at 4 p.m. Um, so ESPN's picking up the rights, Fox Sports has rights, NBC Sports has rights to it. So um, it's definitely an emerging market, and I really don't see it going anywhere. I don't either. And, you know, I love sports. I love watching sports. It's been interesting, you know, not having sports. I, I've been on Twitch watching random people play video games now, which I never really yeah. thought I'd absolutely do. Uh, you look at NASCAR teams. I mean, every NASCAR team that owns a, a real NASCAR team has an eSports team as well. And now you see real drivers getting in simulators and doing that live as well. My question to you is, although this opportunity where real sports – and when I say real sports, actual physical sports where you're outside playing in somebody have been halted. Esports has taken this platform, but I honestly think they would have gotten to this point even without something like this. It almost seems like something was growing in the background and now it's just kind of gotten the stage. So where does it go from here? And do you think this is just the beginning of, of not only just esports and, and games like League of Legends and, and Call of Duty and Rocket Leagues, but jumping into all different types of platforms? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the the NBA has their own league called the 2K League. It's the Charlotte that I'm doing by the Charlotte Hornets here. Um, um, my team specifically has been in talks with uh, the newly founded MLS team. Um, we've had meetings with Carolina Panthers, Charlotte Hornets. So there's a lot of cross collaboration. 
um, one of the biggest opportunities in the market, marketing opportunities that traditional sports sees with eSports is um, a, a lot of kids just aren't sports fans like they used to be when you and I were growing up. Um, you know, again, my son, he, he's a perfect example. He would much rather go to an eSports tournament and go to a Panthers game on Sunday. Um, so a lot of these uh, NBA teams, uh, like I mentioned, the Charlotte Venom, what they're doing is they'll have call it the New York Knicks versus Charlotte Hornets um, on the court, and then pre pre game or post game they'll have the New York Knicks professional esports team play the Charlotte Hornets esports team. So it's really about engaging parents and kids. Um, kids, kids want to go for the esports aspect, and parents want to go for the for the on the field or on the court uh, aspect uh, of the evening. So trying to wrap it in um, to make it the whole family entertained and have fun. And I think it's also, you know, a lot of opportunities and the city of Charlotte is embracing it um, right now. There, there's a whole lot of potential for kids to have a whole new way of learning. Um, there's coding courses now that are taking place in uh, a couple different schools. Charlotte Christian's one of them. CMS schools have picked them up. Um, Olympic High School specifically where you have a 90-minute-long esports class every day, and you're, you're playing, a, you're, you're coding your own video game, so you're learning real-life work skills. Um, you know that that can be translated to any number of professions. Um, but again, it's just fun. Like you're, you're you're designing your own video game in school, and then you get to play it. So there's a lot of opportunity like that. Um, that, that I'm glad the city starting to embrace and, and a lot of the local schools because um, I think that's one of the biggest challenges now um, is, is to keep kids engaged with um, with learning. And this is definitely, um, in kind of the short term, proven to be very successful. What's your favorite part about being an eSports team owner? The... I mean, I, I, I'm a numbers guy, so uh, honestly, just watching the growth of it, um, seeing the fans. Our, our Rocket League team played on Saturday, um, and we had 42,000 people in the Carolinas watching it live. So, um, again, just watching the growth of that, it's pretty exciting. You know, when you put that up again, um, any other, it, it'll beat any minor league members teams here in Charlotte, and I'll probably put that up with, you know, even the Charlotte Hornets uh, TV ratings. I haven't looked at those, but on Fox Sports One, I would imagine it's pretty close. So, um, yeah, just just seeing that part of it, and again, kind of, um, you know, working closely with the cities and and just seeing these kids get really entertained. Um, we, we have a deal worth that now. When the RMT's over, all the media buses that's being used for that, they're donating it to us, and we're going to turn it into a STEM bus. It's going to go around to, to a different CMS school every day, and it's just a giant video game and learning bus. So um, I think that's the part that excites me the, uh, the most about it. How do people um, – do people follow the eSports team specifically through – you know, Twitch, I know you just mentioned a lot of uh, big uh, organizations like ESPN are pulling that. I mean, obviously, I think that'll drive even more people. But what's the best way for people to follow the Charlotte Phoenix? Uh, just on Twitter. Um, Twitter, 
Facebook, Instagram. Um, just, yeah, just, just search for Charlotte Phoenix. We'll pop right up. Um, that is, and that is kind of the one thing lacking now um, is that when you compete in this many different titles, you mentioned the League of Legends, Call of Duty, the Rocket Leagues, um, and then some of the sporting titles. There are so many um, games that go on and matches and different tournaments. And um, owning an esports team is more like having a, uh, I compare it most likely um, or most closely to collegiate sports. Um, so think of, University of North Carolina, they have a basketball team, they have a football team, they have a swim team, they have a golf team, a tennis team, et cetera. Um, and they're all playing, you know, a lot of times probably the same day in different locations, no different with eSports. Um, so the easiest way, yes, is on uh, Twitter. Um, and even me being an owner, I, uh, I, I kind of have to keep up with Twitter every day because I'll go and stay and try to remember um, each and every time that we play. I love that. That's fantastic. Man. I'm excited. I mean, I'm, I, I grew up kind of without video games and then I had video games and I've always loved them. Uh, I've never been good enough to be on obviously an e-sports team, but I can't wait to follow, you know, the Charlotte Phoenix and what you guys are doing. I, I love Call of Duty. I can't imagine how good the professionals are. And I've seen, you know, some here and there and it's just pretty amazing. Um, but before we kind of wrap this up, I'd love to know, you seem to always have ideas, obviously looking into the future. Uh, we're at a really, um, a time in our lives that, that probably no one ever thought would happen, but at the same time, everybody's dealing with it. What's next for you? What are three things for you and what, what, what can we expect, uh, moving forward? So I think uh, the, the next project I'm working on is, uh, um, probably the most immediate is a uh, new gambling app that's been in development for about two years. And I'm working with uh, some current and former Carolina Panthers with um, it's kind of a whole new way to do sports betting. Um, we should have that released hopefully in the next six months. We'll be selling that into different casinos. Um, I've had lots of talks with that, so um. And then from there, um, kind of staying in the gaming aspect, I'm really going to put a heavy focus on the virtual reality. Um, I'm already talking to, to, to some of the big studio shops about that because I do see that not only is the future of esports, but just entertainment in general. Um, you know, I kind of think, and, and looking down a decade from now, we're, we're going to be wearing VR goggles, watching movies, and feel like we're actually in the movies walking around. Um, same with games. So, I know that's only two of the three, but I think that's going to keep me busy enough, really kind of focusing uh, between the sports betting and uh, virtual reality. Um, I, I, I think that's enough on my plate. I don't know if I'm prepared to take on the third thing right now. I, I would say <laughs> those are two big ones. A busy man. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. I love it. And if, it's my understanding you didn't have, if you don't mind me asking, and you don't have to answer this if you wouldn't like to, but I think it's fascinating. You don't have a traditional college route background, correct? It's, or maybe even high school. Could you tell us yeah. a little bit about your schooling and sort of how you've developed uh, into the entrepreneur you are today? Yeah, so I was, uh, I, I went to uh, Charlotte Christian in kindergarten, then I was homeschooled from first to sixth grade, um, which which I think I kind of got spoiled with, um, kind of being, being able to, to set the 
sometimes when I do my school work and, and get it done much quicker um, than, than you would obviously going to a traditional school, sitting there six, seven, eight hours a day. Um, so uh, my parents sent me to back to a school in seventh and eighth grade. I got to choose the school that I went to if I went from eight to noon or noon to four, um, which most people would think that's a really good setup. I hated it because I, I I didn't like being told that I had to be at school, you know, five days a week at these certain times because I was just so accustomed to doing it kind of my own way um, and being pretty flexible um, about when the school work was done um, and where it was done. Um, and then I went to, uh, after that, I went to a couple different private schools, um, ended up getting kicked out of, getting kicked out of the last one that I was at. Um, and that was either, that was my second time doing the ninth grade. I failed it once, did it again. And then, uh, I just kind of quit school from there. So, um, the, 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 the last grade that I completed is the eighth, unless you ask my mother, um, Apparently, there's some school that I've never heard of that I have a degree from. I guess she bought on eBay, um, so, so she doesn't like me. She doesn't like me saying that I uh, didn't finish high school because yes, there is some degree out there from a high school in Miami, and I'd never been to Miami at that point in my entire life. But it says I graduated from there. So, mom, if you're listening, sure, I graduated from a made-up school. Um, so, but, but, but with that time. Um, it, it, around that time frame is when AOL was sending all those floppy disks in the mail every day, okay. and they were in every single magazine. Um, so I just asked my parents, um, son, uh, uh, about signing that up. Um, they finally set it up, agreed to let us get AOL, and uh, I just got pretty interested right away, um, kind of on the inner workings of how to code, how stuff's done. So taught myself how to code. Um, taught myself some digital marketing, um, and uh, yeah, kind of fell in love with it. Started designing websites and doing digital marketing for like small local restaurants at a pretty young age, like 14. Um, that would have been the first one that I did, um, and yeah, just kind of took off from there. So I've never really had any formal education. Everything I've learned is uh, just kind of on the fly and. 99.99% of what what I've learned is just from mistakes that I've made. So, um, yeah, it's been a fun ride. Um, I wouldn't do it any other way, but I think most smart people would do it a different way in a much easier path, but it's worked for me. So, Well, I think that's great. It, I, I think that probably also contributes to all your attributes and learning from other people and mentoring other people because when you mentor you you gain uh knowledge as well and uh obviously it's worked very well for you so thank you for sharing that yeah absolutely awesome well jeff what is the best way for our audience and our listeners to connect with you uh, and what's the best way to follow all the businesses and adventures that you're jumping into yeah, um, LinkedIn, Twitter, social media, um, Instagram, just all Jeff Broca. So just, uh, yeah, I'll pop up, follow me, shoot me a message on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram. Um, yeah, I'm happy to talk to, to anybody, happy to always uh, give advice um, or, or help in any way that I can. So, I love it, reach out. 
Yeah, Jeff, that's awesome, man. You you have so many great ideas. I love that you're you're just constantly moving. I knew when I asked you what are the next three things you're going to be doing. I'm surprised it was only two, but those are two really big ones. And and love. I mean, I love to to gamble on sports. Very small money, wife. Very small money, nothing big. Uh, but I do appreciate you being honest and sharing your story. And I hope that you know all of our listeners, whether you're you know working for a big corporation, whether you're an entrepreneur, whether you're in the nonprofit space, whatever it is, you know. Check out, you know, Jeff's information, reach out to him. Um, he, he comes up with great ideas and he's been around. He looks at from marketing at 14 years old to restaurants to where we are today. Uh, it's pretty fascinating. So make sure that you like, share, comment. Jeff, thank you so much for joining us on this episode of the Brand Builders Podcast. We really appreciate you coming on and, uh, and sharing your story. Yeah, thank you for having me. Thank you, Jeff. Stay well, buddy. Yeah, hope everybody has a great day. Until next time, you've been listening to the Brand Builders Podcast. You've been listening to the Brand Builders Podcast, brought to you by the Dunstan Group with your host, Scott Dunstan and Brian Young. For branded merchandise and apparel that makes first impressions and ones that last, check out the Dunstan Group at dunstangroup.com.